Welcome parents, guardians, and caregivers to another insightful episode of the NCSS Parent Connect podcast. I'm your host, Shabri Jones, and today we have a special focus on building brighter futures by nurturing social emotional learning and positive behavior intervention and supports. In our ongoing quest to support you in your parenting journey, we're diving deep into the world of social emotional learning or SEL and positive behavior interventions and supports, also known as PEBIS. These are not just buzzwords, but powerful tools that can help you and your child thrive in today's complex world. I bet you're wondering, what exactly is social emotional learning and how can it benefit your child's development? How do positive behavioral interventions and supports create a more harmonious and enriching family life? Today, we're going to explore these questions and more. With that being said, we have two special guests who can help us understand the effects of social emotional learning and positive behavioral intervention supports. Please welcome Ms. Jessica Harris and Ms. Tiffany Dean, who are both a part of the Student and Family Support Department. Welcome, ladies. Thank you for having us. Thank you. It's a honor to be a part of your podcast. Thank you so very much. No problem. Thank you for being my special guest today. So let's just jump right into it. Starting with you, Ms. Dean, and then Ms. Harris, please tell us about your role in the Newton County School System. Thank you. So my role in the Newton County School System, I oversee our social and emotional learning curriculum. We utilize a program called Rethink Ed. I also oversee the implementation of No Place for Hate in all of our school buildings. And I also support our amazing school counselors throughout the school district. Awesome. And Ms. Harris, tell us about your role. All righty. So um, I am a school climate specialist for Newton County Schools, um, along with Ms. Dean. And my primary responsibility is overseeing the implementation of PBIS or positive behavior intervention and supports within our schools. So we currently have 18 schools that implement PBIS. Um, and I work diligently with all 18 of those schools. And we are adding a new school this year. I also am a teen mental health first aid trainer, um, which is the suicide prevention program that focuses on um, uh, teaching teens how to recognize and help um, their peers. And then I also am a youth mental health first aid trainer, which is a program that we have that we are able to teach um, mental health awareness to adults. Nice. You both have a lot of titles added together. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about school climate. Oftentimes, as a parent here in the Newton County school system, we hear the term school climate or we're asked to do a school climate survey. What does a healthy school climate mean and why is it fundamental to the overall well-being of our students and educators? Let's start with you, uh, Ms. Dean. Thank you. So let me first also mention, we have two other ladies in our department, and I do want to mention their names. Naisha Spates is a school climate specialist, and Naisha uh, works with our weekly food pack. She goes and picks up uh, 200 plus food packages and delivers those packages to all of the schools throughout our school system. And Ms. Spates is also certified in teen 
mental health and youth mental health first aid training. We also have Shakita Perry Owens, who is at one of our school climate specialists, and Ms. Perry Owens oversees our sources of strength programs in some of our schools. And uh, Ms. Perry Owens, she also she's also the lead for our youth mental health first aid trainings and our teen mental health first aid trainings. So I wanted to mention both Ms. Spates and Ms. Perry Owens because they're not here with us today. So a healthy school climate fosters positive relationships among students, teachers, administrators, and staff. It encourages open communication, trust, and respect, which are crucial for a supportive learning environment. A healthy school climate supports effective teaching and learning. It encourages engagement, creativity, and critical thinking by providing necessary resources within our schools. Uh, students and educators need to feel physically and emotionally safe at school. A safe environment reduces stress and anxiety. It allows individuals to focus on their education and professional growth. Inclusivity is also very important. Inclusive practices ensure that all of our students and educators, regardless of their background, abilities, or identities, feel valued and included. Uh, this promotes a sense of belonging and reduces discrimination and bullying in our schools. Effective discipline practices are also very important. Instead of punitive measures, a healthy school climate focuses on restorative practices and conflict resolution. When we involve our school counselors and allow them to teach students to learn from their mistakes, this will allow our students to grow in a supportive environment. So those are just a few examples of what a healthy school climate means. Okay, so now that you you mentioned about those um, positive reinforcement um, ideas from teachers, Ms. Harris, can you tell us a little bit about PBIS? Because that kind of aligns with that positive reinforcement. Mm -hmm. So what mm -hmm. is PBIS and how does it help reduce disciplinary incidents? and improve academic outcomes in schools. Okay, so PBIS is a multi-tiered system of support. And so um, parents, what that means is it's, it's a, a framework that builds upon all students receiving supports. So you have tier one, which is what every student in the building is getting, but every student doesn't always need the same thing. So then you have tier two supports, which is more, um, more intensive supports to meet the students' needs. And then you have tier three supports, which are kind of like those wraparound services that um, students need. So it could include, um, you know, mental health uh, clinicians. It can include, you know, um, taking care and helping with food um, insecurity. So uh, those tier three supports are really that wraparound support for those students. So with PBIS, it's that multi-tiered system of support where we really work on fostering a positive school climate and culture by teaching um, expectations and, and really um, focusing on what we want students to be able to do and how we want them to behave. It includes um, positive reinforcement or acknowledgement, where when we see those behaviors, we're acknowledging the students for, for doing those behaviors. Um, and it, it really looks at data and, 
and using the school data. So um, each school has a PBIS coach and that coach works really hand in hand with making sure that things are, are, are happening. And then there's a team and those teams meet monthly and they look at the school data and they look for trends and they, they try to figure out, okay, what's the why behind what we're seeing in our building and what can we do to improve it? So it really focuses on a lot because a student cannot learn if they can't behave. So behavior and academics go hand in hand. They're not separate. So when um, PBIS is implemented with fidelity, you're going to increase engagement and you're going to increase academic achievement because the students are, are learning what they need to learn. Awesome. Now, Ms. Dean, I know we talked about school climate, but how does Rethink Ed play into school climate? Awesome question. So let me first begin by explaining what Rethink Ed is. Rethink Ed is a K through 12 online social and emotional learning program for students, staff, and parents. And the program provides videos, activities, and quizzes for students to support social and emotional well-being. Uh, Rethink Ed offers access to strategies and tools that will help staff and students to recognize and manage emotions, build those stronger relationships, and develop skills to lead happier and healthier lives. The way that the curriculum is divided, there is a learn section, and this is where students will be introduced to different SEL topics through a video, which is approximately five minutes, and then students will have an opportunity to answer discussion questions. The next piece is a practice activity, and those practice activities normally will take about 10 minutes to complete, and that's where students will build on the skills that they learned through the video, and all of the materials are provided within the Rethink Ed platform, so our teachers, they don't have to go out and try and figure out or create lesson plans. Everything is already there. And then we have a dive deeper activity, which lasts about 20 minutes, and it's an extension of both the video and the practice activity. And so, you know, we throw out the term social and emotional learning or SEL, and sometimes we wonder, like, what what is this? What does this term mean? And so SEL is the process through which all young people and adults acquire and apply the knowledge and skills and attitudes to develop healthy identities, manage emotions, achieve personal and collective goals, um, feel empathy for others. We know that that is an area where we need to really hone in on. Some of our students really, they struggle feeling empathetic for their peers. Um, It also helps to establish and maintain supportive relationships, and make responsible and caring decisions. I am a former middle school counselor, and I know that my middle school babies, (laughs) they struggled with making the right choice. That's oftentimes what we had to deal with. So 
all together, Rethink Ed helps our students and adults learn how to manage these everyday emotions. What am I feeling? What do I do with these feelings? I can't lash out and attack and fight or argue or yell at somebody. What can I do to control what I'm feeling and how can I label these emotions and feelings that I am I am feeling? Listen, middle school is a different level of managing student emotions. So I definitely understand. Now, with this website, are parents able to access the Rethink Ed website? Yes, our parents do have access to Rethink Ed. And so the parent side will be the webinars. There are a wealth of webinar videos dealing with bullying, anxiety, stress management. There, I mean, like it, it's so many out there that parents can um, look at to help support them as they are assisting their students. There, there's a home connect letter that goes with every lesson. And so these lessons, again, they're geared towards a certain skill. And that home connect letter that teachers can send home or place on their Canvas page will give parents an idea of this is the skill, this is the strategy that we dealt with today. The topic may be anxiety. And so they have a wonderful lesson dealing with anxiety. And so that home connect letter will help that parent to extend and carry on the lesson into the home and provide resources that the parents can use at home if their if their child is dealing with anxiety. Awesome, awesome. Now, uh, Ms. Harris, now with the PBIS, how can educators and school administrators get started? Let's say there's not a PBIS program at their school. How can they get started with implementing PBIS in their schools, even if the resources are limited? So even if they're not one of the Georgia DOE um, PBIS schools through the district, we can still help them um, implement PBIS in their schools. So one of the main things with PBIS is looking at the discipline data, um, seeing where there are some areas of weakness, and then creating school-wide positive expectations. So a lot of times those expectations are being respectful, being responsible, being safe um, along those lines, but looking at your data and see, okay, where are my students struggling and, and how can we address those by teaching positive expectations? So the main premise is that teaching peace. If a child doesn't know how to read, we teach them how to read. If a child doesn't know how to ride a bike, we teach them how to ride a bike. But so often when a student doesn't um, have the skills to exhibit positive behaviors, we use exclusionary discipline practices such as ISS, OSS, or expulsions. So the premise of PBIS is really 
teaching those expectations to students so that they will then exhibit them and giving the acknowledgments. So just coming up with expectations that you want your students to exhibit is really important. And then defining those behaviors in the different locations. So being safe in the hallway, what does that look like? Does that look like walking on the third tile, keeping your hands to yourself? So, you know, schools can implement PBIS principles very effectively without using a lot of um, financial resources by just going through and, and teaching the behaviors and, and doing some of those other things and always contacting me if they need additional support. Now, are there any misconceptions? Because I have children of my own and I always hear, I'm going to the PBIS store. Is it just about the PBIS store? What are some misconceptions about PBIS? So one of the main misconceptions is that it is about the reinforcement. Although that is a critical element of PBIS, the acknowledgement, it's not all about the parties and the going to the store, to the Mustang market. It's not about that. That's just a piece. So I think the biggest component and the biggest misconception that I hear a lot of is I'm not going to pay students to do what students are automatically supposed to do. And, and that's a piece, but the reason why the acknowledgements are a piece is because research has shown that if a student is acknowledged for a behavior, that behavior is more likely to occur in the future. So that's why the acknowledgement piece is important because when students are positively acknowledged, they're more likely to do that behavior later on. Um, but it's not just about the, the prizes. Um, and then another misconception I hear a lot is, you know, PBIS is so expensive and it takes up so much time. Our PBIS is adding one more thing to the plate. Well, PBIS isn't adding anything to the plate. PBIS is the plate because a student cannot achieve if they are unable to sit into a classroom and behave. If a student is, is uh, you know, um, exhibiting negative behaviors and they're excluded from the learning environment, are they learning? So I think that's where it, it really is. That's just one more thing as a teacher I have to do. And it's like, no, it's just fostering a positive climate and culture in your classroom so that students can achieve and succeed to their highest potential. Now, that, that brings me to my next question. It's about positive parenting. Now, with PBIS, how can that correlate with positive parenting at home? And how can that contribute to their students' success in the school and vice versa? I love that question. So as a parent of four children, it's it was really important to me and my husband that we, we developed students and, and children that had good character. So for me with PBIS, when you're talking about the expectations and what you are teaching your children that you expect from them behavior wise and grade wise and everything else, you are helping them be successful students. So at home, when you establish um, routines and procedures and expectations at home and those students, your, your children can carry that out at home that is more likely to translate and be carried out at school. 
So with positive parenting, you're really helping your students be well-rounded and prepared for the future. Um, you're, you're helping them, you know, by reading to them at a young age and teaching them the love of reading and by learning through um, the exploration of printed material, you're, you know, helping them with simple chores. And when you, when you have those expectations at home and you teach those expectations at home, um, giving them responsibility, encouraging them to play with others and to problem solve, um, like Ms. Dean said earlier, empathy, you know, empathy is that ability to feel what others are feeling. And a lot of our students struggle with that. So when you're using positive parenting at home, you're, you're teaching them how to be empathetic so that they can feel what others are feeling and what others are going through. So I just feel that, you know, positive behavior is necessary for learning and that when you are, um, you know, a positive parent and you're using those strategies at home, you're just, you know, teaching your kids how to, to better deal and cope with situations as they come up. Um, and, you know, you're just helping them solve problems and, and in turn, they're going to help others. And I think that's really important. Awesome. Now, when you talk about helping students cope, and I'm kind of shift gears a little bit. Coming out of the pandemic, it was a lot of focus on students' mental health and how they're functioning now that they're back in the classroom. Ms. Ms. Dean, can you give me some practical ways schools can incorporate mental health education into their curriculum that will help students better understand and manage their own mental health? Absolutely. So introducing age-appropriate social and emotional learning curriculum from the earliest grade levels is a key. Teaching students and adults about emotions and empathy, we keep saying empathy because that's very important, but teaching students and adults about emotions, empathy, and communication while older students are able to delve into more complex topics and as mentioned before, Rethink Ed is an awesome curriculum that focuses on the CASO competencies. And those competencies are self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, responsible decision-making, and relationship skills. And for Newton County, it's the expectation that our schools facilitate at least one Rethink Ed lesson per week. And these lessons are facilitated by our counselors and teachers. And so we incorporate mental health and SEL learning weekly in our curriculum. Awesome. Um, now, I know mental health can be a scary thing. When people hear mental health, they're like, oh, no, I don't want to touch that topic. But what are some ways, Miss um, Dean, that we can help educators and parents work together to destigmatize mental health issues and kind of create a more open and supportive dialogue with students? So educators and parents play a critical role in destigmatizing mental health issues and fostering an open and supportive uh, relationship. And that dialogue is very important as well. But by working together, we can create a more compassionate and understanding environment for children and adolescents. Uh, educators can incorporate mental health education into the curriculum, teaching students about common mental health conditions and signs and symptoms. Uh, 
As I mentioned earlier, Ms. Shakita Perry Owens is over sources of strength in our school district. And so Sources of Strength is a school-based program that's designed to change the norms and behaviors surrounding suicide within the school community and also to create uh, social support and connectedness among students. The program aims to build socio-economical or um, relationships um, with our students. The program focuses on changing the norms and behaviors of students through their youth leaders. And the youth leaders are trained by adult advisors in preparing and conducting suicide prevention message type activities. And those activities are designed to change unhealthy norms around seeking help and trust towards adults and encouraging students to connect with those trusting adults. And so programs like this reduces that stigma and corrects misconceptions and stereotypes about mental health in both the school and the home environments. And teachers and families are able to avoid using that stigmatizing language um, when discussing mental health. And in turn, you're promoting a more empathetic relationship with your students by encouraging mental health not to be that um, that bad thing or that thing we we don't talk about. It's okay to acknowledge and to talk about it. So the open lines of communication is also very important. Now, this question may be for both of you, um, but we'll start with you, Ms. Harris. Oftentimes, we may deal with mental health issues in the school and parents may miss these signs at home. What are some key signs that an educator should be aware of when it comes to identifying students who may be struggling with their mental health? So I think some key signs is just really getting to know your kids and looking for changes in their behavior. So, you know, sometimes if you have a student who is really outgoing and then all of a sudden they come in and they're really subdued, that could, you know, signify that something is going on with that student. Um, or, or you have someone who is really subdued and all of a sudden they get to be really outgoing or, or you know, changes in behavior. I think that's really one thing as a, um, as a educator we can look for. Also looking for things like attendance. You know, you have a student who has really good attendance and then all of a sudden their attendance starts, you know, um, fluctuating where they're not coming to school, um, checking just their um, their appearance, you know, or is it a, a student who all of a sudden they're coming in and they're, you know, not taking care of themselves as well as they used to be. I, I think, you know, and, and watching how they engage with their peers I mean, I think to me as an educator, you know, one of the things that we really look at is the behavior of the kids and and what that behavior um, tells us. All right, Ms. Dean, did you have anything to add to that statement or question? Yes, absolutely. And those are some great signs that educators certainly need to be aware of. And it's important that educators understand, especially the classroom teachers, they see the students frequently. They see the students all of the time. They are in constant 
connection and relationship with the students. So it's very easy for our teachers to understand the signs. Sometimes building teachers will depend on counselors or administrators, but since we don't see the students, some of the behavior changes we may not pick up on as quickly as a classroom teacher. But if you have a student, as Ms. Harris stated, you know, normally they are very pleasant in class, but then all of a sudden they're screaming and they have these um, angry outbursts or if they're frustrated, then that's a sign that something may be, may be going on. And like that physical appearance, if, if hygiene becomes an issue, if they start, you know, I don't really care about myself if they if they isolate themselves from their peers or if they start bullying other peers you know these are our signs that we need to be aware of and to notice and and pick up on and sometimes they're they're subtle and it's hard to really see but that goes back to um teachers building the relationships with their students so that they can identify when there are changes now, are there any other tools that students can use, like going to the counseling office if they need to, or just finding that mentor and a teacher that can kind of help them with their mental health in the school if needed? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mentoring is that relationship where a student can connect with a trusting adult. Sometimes students just have that one person in the building that they feel close to. And so it's important to foster those relationships. And our counselors are in Newton County. We have amazing school counselors who are very skilled at working with our students to help students process different um, life events that they are going through and to help provide parents also with the resources. We have community resources that we can provide to our parents. Keep it in mind that our school counselors are not therapeutic counselors, uh, nor are they behavior counselors, but we do have resources to point our parents in the right direction. Sometimes our students need more than just that mentor type relationship. Sometimes they need that intense therapeutic or behavior counseling. And we certainly have those resources that we can provide to our parents. Awesome. Now let's talk a little bit about parenting. Uh, Ms. Harris, what strategies can schools and parents collaborate on to ensure a consistent approach to behavior management to support their students? So I think one of the, the biggest things that schools and parents can do to collaborate to ensure consistent approaches is making sure that we have open lines of communication. Um, I think open lines of communication is very important between parents and schools and that parents and, and schools, you know, we need to think of ourselves as teams and we have to work together with one another to better meet the needs of our students and families. I also think that like um, newsletters and, and other modes of communication, such as email, remind, um, teachers utilizing Canvas um, and parents utilizing Canvas can also be another way to help with these open lines of communication. Um, parents being connected to Infinite Campus and using the parent portal um, can help them be informed on how their students are doing academically. And I just, I really think that making sure that the, the students, I mean, the parents and 
the um the schools are just connected and communicating with each other. Um, I, I think that sometimes we get there's a misconception that, um, you know, the schools are working against parents. And and if those open lines of communication are created and those those relationships like Ms. Dean talked about, you know, are so important, you know, as as a as a teacher, you know, making sure that I was contacting my parents, not when something went wrong, but contacting them when good things was going on. I think that was so important for us to just be consistent and, and work on those relationships, because that's so important. And then as a parent, you know, there's been times in, in my kids um, lives that, you know, I might not have agreed with something that happened with the school, or I might not agree with something that a teacher did, but making sure that I didn't communicate to, that to my student so that they knew mama's mad about X, Y, Z, because if, if they know that mama's mad about something, then that's going to impact the way that they feel towards school or that they feel towards adults at the school. So making sure as a parent that I, you know, didn't always express my feelings in front of my kids, so that they would still, you know, I still made sure that I remained supportive to the school in, in situations because my feelings can impact my kids' feelings towards things. So I, I just, I really feel that that open line of communication is so, so, so important so that we're all consistent and just, and just being consistent and making sure that parents know the code of conduct and parents are familiar with you know, the expectations and the consequences. And if we're a PBIS school, making sure that the parents are familiar using, um, you know, like uh, curriculum nights and every other opportunity so that we're giving parents resources. I think that's, that's another key thing. Um, and it just really helps with that parent and school collaboration. Absolutely. Because, you know, sometimes I can be a bit of a helicopter parent and I, I don't want to be a helicopter parent, but I just want to make sure like I'm checking Canvas, I'm checking Parent Portal just to make yes. sure that my child yes. is on top of whatever he yes. needs to be on top of. So I and, get it. <laughs> and not only that, but the kids know. Mm-hmm. Like earlier, um, I I got contacted and my daughter was like, mom, I studied for the test and I just didn't do as good as I wanted to do. And I'm so sorry I let you down. And I was like, you know, baby, we're going to have to change your study methods because what you've been doing isn't working. I said, but, you know, she was like, I just wanted to tell you first. They know when we're watching their grades. They know when that's important. And, And that trickles down to them because it's important to her to do good because expectations have been set. Like she knows what's expected of her. And when she was like, mom, I'm so sorry. I I didn't do it as good as I thought I could. And I'm like, baby, she's like, but I tried my best. And I'm like, baby, that's all I can ask you to do is to try your best. But she knows that what, what's, what's expected. And I think that's important. And I think that carries over. And, you know, I feel that us being informed as parents is important because with all that um, teachers have to do the the communication and all of the the students that they have, you know, I can a lot of times, you know, through Canvas or through um, a system that the teacher uses, know what's going on in the classroom 
just because that open line of communication is there and I have a way to follow up and, and know what's going on in the classroom. And, you know, it's it's the whole notion that we are one team. It's not, you know, no one is the, the leader of the team. It's almost like the Knights of the Round Table. We all have the same authority. And as parents, Ms. Jones, you mentioned you are a helicopter parent. <laughs> well, join Sometimes. the club. <laughs> Sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> but, you know, as, as parents, we have to know that we can reach out to our kids' teachers at any time. Sometimes as a counselor, I experienced where parents wouldn't reach out at all. And, and they assumed that if something was going wrong, the teacher would reach out. But I'm that parent. I just want to check in to see, you know, how is my kid doing socially, not just grades, because you can see grades from Infinite Campus. But just overall, how how's my son or my daughter doing socially at, at school? Are they interacting with peers or you know, like Miss Harris mentioned her daughter with social studies, this would be a great time to say, hey, meet, have a conference with the teacher. I just want to learn from you. What are some strategies that you would suggest that my my daughter can use to better prepare for your your test? Uh, sometimes the only time parents hear from teachers or administrators or counselors is when something goes wrong. But if we start out just open, just text, this is a different time. Now we can text. Teachers have Google numbers, so you don't have to text on their personal number, but just send a, a quick text. Hey, this is Tiffany Dean. I'm Jaden Dean's mom. I just want to see how she's doing. And most of our teachers carry their phones around with them all the time, so they can send you a quick text response back. So there, there are different avenues now <laughs> that we can use to communicate back and forth. So I think if we just, you know, all understand we're on the same team and we all have that common goal and that's for your kid to be successful. Yes, I love that. I love that. You know, going back to what Ms. Harris said, calling um, a parent and letting them know that their student did good. I remember maybe my first year as, a, as an educator in the classroom and I called, I made positive phone calls and a parent was taken aback that I called to say something positive. And I'm like, we got to shift the dynamic. We got to shift the level of thinking when it comes to the parent and school relationship. So with that being said, Ms. Harris, are there any programs or initiatives that focus on strengthening the partnership between schools and parents that will promote positive parenting and academic success? So I think really, um, you know, I think actually what we're doing today, the podcast and different, you know, the Parent Connect, I think that's a great way that the schools and parents can, can you know, the schools can provide resources and information to parents. Um, I think that's been really great. And, and it's giving them, um, parents, um, some resources that, that they can use to develop skills to help strengthen that partnership between schools and parents. I also think as parents, it's important that we attend um, different events at our children's school. So like going to Title I night, um, because lots of times there's different community resources there that can help provide um, different trainings and different things and just information to parents. Going to curriculum nights, you know, I, I think it's important as a parent that we work to establish those positive relationships as well. Like Miss Dean said, you know, reaching out to to our um, to our our schools and, and being, 
very visible, I think is important. Um, and just making sure that we're attending those Title I and curriculum nights, because lots of times that they are offering different services and supports to families. Um, also, there's different community resources that parents can tap into. Um, like I know there's a, a different an event, I believe, going on um, very soon that one of the uh, the National Council of Drug and Alcohol Abuse is is uh, sponsoring so different events where parents can go and they can get resources for different matters that our children are facing with you know social media and vaping and other things that that wasn't ne that necessarily wasn't something we had to deal with as youth when we were you know growing up so I think you know reaching out and and looking to community partners and other things is really important well you ladies have given us a plethora of information today. This was very, very, very helpful. So as Ms. Dean and Ms. Harris stated, please reach out to your schools. You, It's okay for you to start that line of communication with the teachers and administrators at your child's school building. It is okay. <laughs> so any last words from you, Ms. Dean and you, Ms. Harris? You know, I would just like to close out by saying that uh, Newton County school system does a lot for our students and our community. My both of my children graduated from Newton County schools. And I think that even though I am an employee, <laughs> I, I would say the same thing, but we have dynamic educators in our school system and having children in the community, we have awesome community support, awesome parents in our community. I, I think that we are fortunate to have a school system that focuses on mental health and social emotional learning and find that that is something that's critical for our students and the success of our students and our overall community. And so I just encourage parents to continue to reach out, as you said, Ms. Jones, to your school and develop those relationships. There are so many resources in this county that a lot of our parents don't know about because they, they don't contact the schools. But, you know, if they just build that communication, they will <clears throat> find that the resources that they need, some of our families are struggling and um, some of our families are experiencing food insecurities. We have resources for that. Some of our parents need assistance paying utility bills or paying their rent or portions of their rent. And we have resources for that. And so, you know, any struggle, I, I told my kids when I did classroom guidance, if your family is struggling, yeah, I know it's uncomfortable and sometimes pride may get in the way, but we are one family. If one neighbor is struggling and you have somebody that can assist, just reach out. We don't know that you need the help if you don't reach out to us, but I want our parents to know that we do have resources for our community. And Ms. Harris, did you have any last words for us today? Um, I just wanted to piggyback on what Ms. Dean said, and and I really want our parents to see our schools in our district as a resource. Um, and if you do need assistance to reach out, because it is okay, 
we all need help at some point. Um, we can't do it all alone and, and that we are here to help, you know, and of course, you know, reach out to the schools because if the schools don't have the information, they're going to reach out to us at the district level to get that needed support. So, so really please see us as a resource. And also I want them to see us as a partner, like as parents, we cannot do it alone. And, and, and our schools are in our district, we really you know, work really hard to try to meet the needs of all of our students. And, you know, like Ms. Dean said, we do have a lot of contacts for additional support. So even if as the district, we don't have the resources to take care of every of that specific need, we have community partners that we work with on a regular basis to help meet those needs. So um, just, you know, uh, just really reaching out, I think, is 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 important. And just, you know, thank, uh, thank you so much for having us here because we love being able to share the information that we have. And and that's really important that we get out what, what we're able to help and assist our parents with. Well, thank you so much, Miss Dean and Miss Harris, for joining me today. Again, you gave us some helpful information. And we look forward to having you on future podcast episodes. All right. And so again, thank you to our wonderful listeners for joining us on this enlightening episode. We hope you find inspiration and helpful tips in our exploration of social emotional learning and positive behavior interventions and supports. Remember, your dedication as parents and guardians and caregivers is shaping brighter futures for your children. As we conclude this episode of NCSS Parent Connect, we encourage you to stay connected with us. Be sure to subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and now on Spotify to catch new episodes. Stay tuned for more exciting content. And until next time, take care, stay connected, and keep building those brighter futures. And as always, remember that NCSS is the best.